0: This episode of Locked On MLB is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. They're good for you. They're tasty. And I can't get enough of the mint brownie. Use promo code Locked On for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. Let's get on with the show. You are Locked On MLB, your daily MLB podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, baseball fans! Welcome to Locked On MLB, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. This is the Daily Podcast where we talk about all of Major League Baseball. And I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. On today's episode, we're gonna get a little positive, we're gonna get a little happy, and I am gonna be going through some, well, let's just say, my warm baseball memories, and address some of the negativity. Over the last couple of days, this show is available on the free and easy to use Himalaya podcasting app. We're also available wherever you get your podcasts. And when you're staying at home in these uncertain times, make sure to tell your smart device to play podcast Lockdown MLB or check out some of the other great shows on the Lockdown Podcast Network, including Lockdown Fantasy Baseball with Scott Cullen. You can follow us on Twitter at Lockdown MLB underscore net. We're on Instagram and Lockdown MLB. I'm your pal Sully. You can follow me at Sully Baseball on Twitter, Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. Before I get into the meat and also the potatoes of the show, I am going to address the last couple of days where I have expressed my frustration, and I've also expressed some of my apprehension about starting a season. As the Players Association is proposing, what's an 82-game season or something like that, I stand by everything I said. I do. I stand by all the things that I felt. I do. I am worried about starting the season when it may not be prudent to do so for public health reasons. But I want to address, I got something from a, a listener the other day who's at, uh, on Twitter, at P-D-R-A-G-G-Y uh pd raggy i don't know he said fyi today's podcast was by last that's referring to yesterday's where i took everyone to task about going back to play uh and not having it be a health issue they were ignoring warnings from you know the health departments you've been so down on the game i'm starting to question why i'm a fan now there's there's some grammar Issue in this but that's not the point I am reaching out to be uh, A positive I think what I do Think what this is saying is he's, this he's uh, He or she I don't know the Gender uh, has been saying I've been Down and either he's Wondering why I'm a Fan or she's wondering if She should be a fan I don't know how it works And again I'm not sure the gender which is why I mixed it up in mid sentence I'm not down on the game I'm not And also let the record show that If baseball comes back and they play games this year, I'm going to watch. I'm going to watch. And I don't want to be proven right. I want to be proven wrong. If baseball comes back in the middle of a pandemic and there is no big spike and there's no big health problem or anything like that, that's the kind of wrong I would love to be proven. I would love it. There are some times in life I've said things and been 100% wrong. One time was 2013, I said the Boston Red Sox are gonna be one of the worst teams in baseball. And they won the World Series that year. And as a lifelong Red Sox fan, I was glad to be wrong. In terms of this, if they come back and there is no big health crisis, I would love it. I would love it. I wanna be proven wrong, I do. I was thinking of the analogy of, if my son ran across the highway with cars zooming around, I would say, stop, don't do that, and I would stand by. That would be the right thing for me to yell. But I would still be rooting for him to get to the other side of the street unharmed. I wouldn't want him to be flattened by a Mack truck and say, yep, see, told you. I think saying, I told you so, is overrated. I want positive things to happen. I do. I just err on the side of caution when it comes to pandemics. But that being said, I am a fan. I'm not down in the game. I want this done right. But do you know what I'm going to do? You all know where I stand. It's on the record. We know where I stand. And I've also said right now, I want to see the games. I really do. I just want to see him in the healthiest conditions possible. But what I want to do today and scattered over the next week or so, is not talk about pandemics or labor relations or owners or players or no games being played. Part of the enjoyment of baseball are the memories. It's a real memory machine. And those memories are sparked by the sight of uniforms that remind you of years past and The highlights that they show that kickstart this wonderful thing or that wonderful thing and that we share. But these memories don't happen in a vacuum either. I bet a lot of times when you talk about your favorite games or your favorite moments, you don't just talk about the game itself, but you talk about the environment that you were in, who you were watching it with. Were you live at the ballpark? Were you at your home on the couch? Were you at a bar? you're on a hospital bed Were you listening to it in your car these are all places that you can watch it and that colors how you remember the game and the experience that you have so let me tell you what I'm going to do I'm not going to be doing this every single day over the next couple of weeks but I am going to cover all of these in the next week or two I'll do several shows with this as my topic and these are off the top of my head The moment of pure baseball happiness that I have for each year. I wrote down a little chart starting with 1979. And the reason I picked 1979. That was the first year I really, really watched the beginning of baseball, the ins and outs of baseball in a regular season. I watched games in 77 and 78. But 79, when I was age 7... That's when my baseball memories started to crystallize. My teacher was Mrs. Bresciani at the Weston Country School in Weston, Massachusetts. And she was the wife of the statistician of the Red Sox, Dick Bresciani, who went on to be in the Red Sox organization for many decades. And I'm still Facebook friends with Mrs. Bresciani, by the way. That year, 1979, was the first year I really understood what a baseball season was and the ebbs and the flows of it. And I have what is called the rule of seven, and perhaps it is somewhat biased towards my own memories. But I believe that your first real sports memories and your real memories of what's going on in the world Tend to start when you're around seven years old. Think about who your first favorite baseball player was. Your first memories of whatever sport, basketball, hockey, Olympics, football, whatever it is. Whatever your sport is. Your first time you had an inkling of stuff going on in the news. I remember the Iran hostage situation, which was right around then. I remember the election of Ronald Reagan and Jimmy Carter, and also John Anderson was a third-party candidate, if I remember correctly, off the top of my head. So what I'm going to do with this little chart that I wrote out is I wrote down every single year from 1979 to 2019, every dang year. And I closed my eyes, and when I said that year, I wrote down the first baseball memory that popped into my head for each year. Now, I will cheat a little bit because there are some years where the Red Sox won the World Series, a sentence I never thought I would say when I was a younger person. And I decided because those titles and championships have been talked about to death in 04, 07, and 13, and 18, I said another memory, the second memory that popped in my head or the best non-Red Sox memory that popped in my head. So this is a little journey, a journey of nostalgia and a journey of complete positivity, but one that is not gonna mirror you, my dear listener, exactly because these are my memories. These are my recollections. And what it may do is it may spark your own. You know, when you talk about... I, I promise you I'm not going to br- talk about the 2004 ALCS or World Series. But when I bring up those series amongst other Red Sox fans, and we talk about them because that's what we do, inevitably, you don't just speak about the game. You talk about where you are watching it, and who you were watching it with, and who you shared that with. So hopefully this little series I'm going to do might bring you back P what is it? P-D-R A-G-G-Y P-D-raggy, is that what it is? Hopefully you'll stick around and know that I have some positivity that's going to be floating around my case has been stated for the negative stuff now let's get to dessert now let's get to the good stuff now let's get to the delicious stuff Hey, what does that make me think of? Alright, this is your pal Sully, and I am going to be talking you about Bilt Bar. But before I do, we are going to have two of the harshest critics you can ever find. They are my sons. My son Maddie, say hey to everyone, Maddie. Hey, everyone. And my son Aiden, what do you say? How's it going? Okay, so we are going to take... We have our Bilt Bars, I've got my big box of Bilt Bars, say that ten times fast... And we are going to test another one. Now, Aiden, the last time you had what? You had the mint? Yes. So you're going to have German chocolate cake, okay? okay. And Maddie, you are going to have the mint brownie delight, and I'm going to have more of my beloved raspberry chocolate cream. Let's all take our bites. Mm. All right. What do you think, Aiden? Well, it tastes like German chocolate, I'll say. Yep. And what do you think, buddy? It's really good. I like it. There you go. And take a look. These are low-calorie. I got the German chocolate cake wrapper right here. I just dropped it, and I'm going to edit that out. 170 calories, 18 grams of protein, 7 grams of fiber, 9 grams of sugar, 5 grams of fat, and they've been approved by my kids. These are the best tasting protein bars you can ever have. And let me tell you something, you want to order them, I got my big box of them, you got to get your big box of them too. So what you got to do is you have to go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON to get $10 off your first order. That's promo code locked on for $10 off your first order. Built Bar, it's the best bar there is. Isn't it right, buddy? Correct. Isn't it right, pal? Yes. Your pal Sully approves, and so does his kin. All right, I got some energy going. I have a couple of Built Bars in me. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. Thanks, by the way. Thanks to my my kids for helping me with that ad. So, let's talk about this first episode. I'm going to be talking about my first memories that pop in my head, but for every year of the 1980s. Now, I'm going to cheat a little bit because I'm going to include 1979. So, this is 1979 through 1989. And so, I will talk about When I wrote it down, each of these years, I wrote out the first thing that popped in my head. I will also say, a slight caveat, as someone who is a Boston Red Sox fan living in Massachusetts in 1986, it's too easy to bring up the Dave Henderson home run or the World Series. So I'm not going to be talking about the postseason of 86. That's too easy. Okay, let's get on with it 1979, the first thing that popped my head And this is a special thing Because I keep being drawn to it Was being at our neighbor's house on our street The Bianchis were a family that were basically our second family My mother and father both worked long hours, worked very hard And Mrs. Bianchi would take care of me and my brother after school and sometimes she came to our house and sometimes she came, we came to her house. She only lived two houses down. It was on our little street in Massachusetts. And I remember being at the Bianchi's house and that was the first year I watched the playoffs in the World Series. So my memory is sitting in the upstairs room in Mrs. Bianchi's home and I'm watching the Pittsburgh Pirates play the Baltimore Orioles in the 1979 World Series. And I remember the characters, I may not remember the individual plays, but I do remember the cast of characters, whether it was Scott McGregor, or Ken Singleton, or Rick Dempsey, or Eddie Murray, or Jim Palmer, or Mike Flanagan, who was incredible that year. But I was so drawn to the pirates, their crazy hats, the disco music playing, and the fact that they had an unbelievable swagger and that nobody looked like a better leader of men than Willie Stargell, who's called Pops, who seems so much older than all the other players. That was the same year I remember Sports Illustrated had a cover of their, one of their issues during the summer where they talked about all the old players in baseball who were having great years like Carl Stremski and Phil Necro and Lou Brock and Pete Rose and Willie Stargell and Manny Mota, uh, there was some, there was one other one there off the top, man, I can't remember. And of course, it breaks my heart to think that I'm older than all of those players were that year because they seemed like the cast of Cocoon to me. But I remember that Stargell getting big hit after big hit and Dave Parker who was the coolest dude in baseball, and John Candelari, and Burt Blylevin, and Bill Madlock, and Phil Garner with that mustache, and Ed Ott, that name stuck with me, their catcher, Ed Ott. Two syllables, whole name, boom. In and out, Ed and Ott. Now the funny thing is I watched it on a tiny black and white television in their upstairs room. I had all this paper out, my crayons, and I'd be coloring and watching the game. Little did I know, and appropriately with all my colors, that it was such a colorful World Series with the bright yellow uniforms and the bright orange uniforms and the hat and Don Stanhouse's hair. But that was my first memory. Now in 1980 my memory was the Phillies in the World Series. My cousins, I had a bunch of cousins who were Phillies fans, and I was rooting so hard for the Phillies to win because it didn't occur to me that the Red Sox would ever be allowed to be in the World Series. So the Phillies potentially winning was almost like my team winning, like my cousins would be happy. And it's funny that my biggest memory was not the moment when they won the World Series, but the moment just before it, the second out in the ninth inning as the Phillies were on the verge of clinching the World Series, was the play where Bob Boone, the catcher, there was something about those two-syllable catchers, and up, Bob Boone, ran over to the dugout area to catch a foul pop-up, and the ball bounced out of his glove, and it looked like he was going to muff it, and Pete Rose happened to be standing right there to cover him, and he caught it out of midair. And what was so awesome was not just that Pete Rose made that catch, But when he ran back to get the ball to Tug McGraw, he dribbled the baseball. He threw the baseball on the ground, and it bounced back up. Sitting on our couch, watching that in color, rooting for the Phillies, there was something so cool about that. And then when Tug McGraw got Willie Wilson with the final strikeout and had his arms go up in the air, and there was the big pile, I used to simulate that on my front lawn. And that began my fantasy of wanting to be the bullpen closer to close out the World Series. And my fascination with the pitchers who throw the final strike. And I used to draw pictures of my fictitious leagues over the years that would always be jumping up in the air and the fans running on the field. 1981 is an interesting year for memories because my family lived in Europe for 1981. My father was transferred and we lived in Switzerland. And so I didn't really get to watch bus baseball I saw I read the line scores as they were printed in the uh, the International Herald Tribune and we went back to America for that summer during summer vacation and of course all I wanted to do was watch a baseball game and baseball was on strike so we came back to America and there was no baseball to watch and it was killing me and the second to last week that we were in America before we went back to Geneva. The strike ended and we happened to be in Connecticut visiting relatives. And my same cousins who were big Phillies fans were up there visiting as well. And for the first time in my life, I went to a National League game. We went to Shea Stadium and I thought Shea Stadium was beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And I loved that you could see parts of the skyline. And we were sitting in the upper deck and I saw Pete Rose, Mike Schmidt, and everyone play the Mets. Joe Torrey was the manager of the Mets then, and Bob Gibson was his pitching coach. I also remember that day, it was Hat Day. So I didn't get to see a Red Sox game, but I did get to see a Met game, and I came back to Geneva with a Met hat. Now, in 1982, my biggest memory, my family moved back to Massachusetts. The best friend I made in Europe was another American kid whose parents were transferred to Geneva. My buddy P.J. Jurak was my best pal there, and he grew up in Peoria, Illinois, a huge Milwaukee Brewers fan and Green Bay Packers fan. They must have some Wisconsin connection. But the Brewers were great. They had Raleigh Fingers. They had uh, Ted Simmons. They had Cecil Cooper, Paul Molitor, Robin Yount. John Sutton, Pete Vukovic and like when the Phillies won I had a certain proxy pennant that I was cheering for which were the Milwaukee Brewers because if the Brewers won the World Series that meant my buddy PJ was gonna win the World Series and he was living in Europe still and one of my great frustrations when I was living in Europe was I didn't have any baseball to watch even on tape and so I got a big pile, 10-year-old Sully got a big pile of VHS tapes and I taped every playoff game that the Brewers were in and mailed those tapes across the sea to my buddy PJ. And when they got to 3 games to 1 in the World Series or 3 games to 2, sorry, against the the Cardinals in the World Series, I was convinced the Brewers were on the way to winning the World Series. It didn't happen, they lost the last two. And if they had had healthy Raleigh fingers, they probably would have won the World Series. I digress. I Watched a lot of baseball in 1983. The Red Sox stunk that year, but I did watch a lot of baseball that year. And mainly because it was Carl Yastrzemski's final year. And Yaz was sort of this connecting tissue to a previous generation. He was my grandmother's favorite player and everyone loved Yaz. And I went to many many games and I remember there was one game where my summer camp all took a trip to Fenway Park We got these painter caps that said Yaz. They were terrible. They were flimsy. They were as steady as used toilet paper but I remember being there in the stands and like pillars in our way Fenway Park is so great on TV and yet there are so many terrible views but I remember being so happy that I went to so many games. We went to a bunch of games in 1983. That Red Sox team stunk. But I felt there's a sense of urgency. It was our last chance to see Yes. Now in 1984, I actually was a lot more interested in movies than baseball that year. That was a year when you had Ghostbusters and Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom and Star Trek III, The Search for Spock and The Karate Kid and 2010, and Beverly Hills Cop. It just seemed like every week there was another film that caught my attention, and I was starting, my, my taste in film was starting to mature a little bit as well. But I do vividly remember, as everyone in their moose was rooting for the Cubs to win the pennant, that I had a soft spot in my heart for the Padres. It was like nobody wanted them to win, and I felt they've never even been in the World Series, ever. So why is it just the Cubs that everyone's rooting for? And I'll never forget watching in our living room Steve Garvey's home run over Henry Cotto that he hit off of Lee Smith to tie the series, the NLCS, and force it to a final and deciding game. Garvey running around the base path with his arms up. or there's one arm up, sorry. That was my biggest memory of that year. Now, 85 was the year that I really matured as a film watcher. As films like Witness and films like Brazil and Kiss of the Spider Woman. These were all films that really, really affected me. After Hours, Lost in America. I'd gone on to Purple Rosa Cairo. I was really becoming more of a film buff and the Red Sox stunk that year. But I still follow baseball. And I was a big Pete Rose fan, I really was. And I remember on September 11th, 1985, watching Pete Rose get that hit off of Eric Shao, And I remember thinking, my God, I'm watching the equivalent of Hank Aaron's home run. One of those hallowed records that we thought we'd never fall was being done by a player i had been rooting for as long as I can remember watching baseball. And you felt like I'm watching the event that this player is going to be remembered for for the rest of his career. Little did we know. Now, 86, obviously living in Massachusetts in 1986, that was when I found the balance. In so many ways, I found the balance between being a rabid movie watcher, which I was, and I couldn't wait to consume as many films as I could, but also balancing that with my rabid film uh, baseball love. And the two were able to coexist. By the way, that was also the absolute pinnacle of my Star Trek obsession. So I was full on Trekkie or Trekker. I, I don't know which, I don't mean to be a slur there. Which one is that? I, 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 I used to say Trekkie, so I'll say Trekkie. Full-on Trekkie, full-on film buff, and full-on baseball fan. All at full blast. Oh, yeah. Also, Dune. I was reading tons of Dune books, too. I was a geek. The thing that I remember the most, though, there's tons of baseball memories of 86. But the thing that I remember the absolute most was the Red Sox winning the division. Oil cam Boyd through a complete game. The final out was a pop-up that was caught by Bill Buckner. <sighs> Billy Bucks. And it seems silly now, especially at a time with multiple divisions and wild cards and everything. But remember, I was 14 years old, a Red Sox fan. And that was the first year I ever saw my team win the division. I was convinced I never was going to see them win the division. Even when they had all those wonderful players like Lynn and Fisk and... Evans and Yastrzemski and Rice and all of them, Butch Hobson was my guy. They never really were in contention for the division after 1979, save for the split season of 81, and that was the year I was in Europe. So I never was there for a pennant race. And it just felt like I was going to root for my team and then have to pick a team to follow in October. And realizing that I was watching one of my team's get to the playoffs, it really was an event that I said, I never thought I was ever going to see this. I never thought I was ever going to experience this. I thought this was for fans who remember 67 and 75. Now I had my own team. We all know how that ended. My family moved to California in 1987. And it was the first time I was ever in a place where there were two baseball teams nearby, the A's and the Giants. And the Giants won the division. And I was there for the final day of the season in Candlestick Park with my friend Tim, one of my my new friends in California. And it was the first time I ever went to a playoff game. We went to game five of the NLCS between the Giants and the Cardinals. And Jose Uribe got a huge hit Joe Price pitched great out of the bullpen. Kevin Mitchell, who had broken my heart as a member of the Mets just the year before, hit a big home run. Now I was cheering for him. And I felt, hey, wait a minute. Maybe I found a winner with the Giants a year after the Red Sox broke my heart. Well, that October, they showed that the Giants were very similar to the Red Sox in their mojo. But the fact of the matter is, I was at a playoff game. Something I thought I would never see. Now, 88, I saw a bunch of games at the Oakland Coliseum. A bunch of games at Candlestick. I went back to Massachusetts for that summer and I saw a fabulous game with my buddy Roger Fritz. We went to see Roger Clemens pitch against the, I believe it was the Mariners at the game. That was also the year of Morgan's Magic with the Red Sox and everything. My brother and I went to a couple of games of the ALCS. But My memory that I first wrote down was going to the San Jose Giants with my dad. Minor league team, single A ball at the rickety municipal stadium built sometime around World War II. And the reason we went there, I love going to minor league games. I still love going to minor league games. But we went to see Ken Griffey Jr. play for the San Bernardino Spirit. I was consuming baseball America at the time. And all the stuff saying that Ken Griffey Jr. is going to be the next huge star. I remember saying to my dad, let's go see him. Let's go see him in the minor leagues. Let's say we saw him when He had a couple of triples. He threw a guy out from center field trying to round first base. And if you've ever been to the stadium in San Jose, the players walk out the same exit as the fans. So you see when the, the visiting team is going to the bus to take it back to their hotel, they're walking, you're walking outside with players in full uniform. And I remember I caught up with Griffey. and I told him, you know, he, I was 17, he must have been you know, I was, I was 16, he must have been like like two years older than me, three years older than me. But I was still in awe, like he was a, like he was so much more mature than me. He signed my copy of Baseball America and chatted with me for a couple of minutes. Super nice, super cool. And when he got back on the bus, I said, hey, good luck, the Mariners need you. And he looked at me and he smiled and he said, I know. The next year he was in the majors and he went on to be a Hall of Famer and became one of my favorite players of all time. Now I was in the Bay Area for almost all of 1989 and memories of the earthquake before the World Series game. I was setting up a videotape for my dad, lifelong Giants fan, when the earthquake hit. Saw a bunch of games in Oakland, a bunch of games at the stick, including Game 3 of the National League Championship Series between the Cubs and the Giants. But for some reason, the memory that popped in my head from 1989 was that summer, I took summer classes at Northwestern University. The year before I went to college, I did uh, film and television classes there. And I got to meet a bunch of people who would go on to like, continue to know my days in film and TV. And I remember sitting in the common area of some one of the student unions on the campus of Northwestern University by myself. I made a lot of great friends there, but this time I was by myself because I wanted to watch the All-Star Game and nobody else gave a crap. And I remember sitting there and I had like my chicken fingers and french fries because I was 17 and scarfing down a Pepsi and watching Bo Jackson launch a ball straight away center field where all the seats were tarped in the center field area of the the enclosed Anaheim Stadium with Vin Scully and Ronald Reagan doing the call for NBC. And just be like, my God, Bo is incredible. And what a lot of people forget is the very next batter was Wade Boggs. Do you know what he did? He also homered. So there you go. So those are the first memories that pop into my mind. The first positive memories that pop in my mind from 1979 to 1989. Now, maybe you have memories of each of those years too. Maybe you're too young. Maybe you weren't born yet. But I guarantee you, if you're listening to this podcast, I will eventually get to a year that you remember because I'm going to take it right up to 2019. Maybe not tomorrow. I've got to spat, scatter it out because I got other stuff I wanted to do. But I really was doing this in response to anyone who thinks that I'm down on the game or I'm negative or not a fan. I'm a huge fan. And I want to make more memories like this. More good memories. Memories are going to stick with me. And maybe these will jar a few memories for you. This podcast went a little longer than I normally do. But do you know what? So what? It's all positive. We're friends. Besides, what are you doing today? You're listening to your past Sully. So go to the free and easy to use Himalaya podcasting app. You can also follow us wherever you get your podcasts and check out some of the other great shows on the Lockdown Podcast Network, where it is your team every day, including Lockdown Fantasy Baseball with Scott Cullen. This has been the Lockdown MLB Show for what the heck day is it? It's the 10th day. We're already in mid-June, the 10th day of June, 2020. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sullivan.